Hello, and welcome to It's Not Magic, a podcast from Sixth Street about business building that strips away the pretense and gets right to the useful stuff. I'm your host, David Steepleman. We use this show to talk to founders and industry leaders and get them to explain in plain English what they set out to do and specifically how they do it. In this episode, we're speaking with the co-head of a multi-generational business with operations and investments spanning sports to soft drinks, to cars, to movies, to robotics, to real estate, and more. This is a highly successful family business with deep roots in Minneapolis, where they've been outspoken proponents of social justice, and where, of course, they were tragically thrust into the center of our national conversation on racial equality. And that's a dilemma for the twins organization going forward, and it gets back to your support of the community issue. Yeah. I mean, should a baseball team, the twins, should we use our voice? Yeah. And that's that's a really tough question, and it will be more of a question going forward whether it's in a sports team or any business. Well, you guys have definitely used your voice. You know, I mean, I think I think that's the, where we come down on this. That if you have a voice, you should use it, and you should use it in a way that you and the family feels comfortable with. That's Jim Polad, who, along with his brothers Bob and Bill, runs the Polad companies. The Polads span many sectors, and they've owned the Minnesota Twins baseball team since 1984. In this conversation, we'll talk about how a family business performs well and stays close, how an organization should decide when and how to use its voice, and we got a little philosophical and tried to figure out what exactly a baseball team is for. Succeeding as a family business means sometimes just letting things go, which can be hard to do, but it's not magic, so let's jump in. Jim Paul, thank you so much for coming on. It's not magic. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, I was advised by some some folks who are close to me that I really should not talk about the New York Mets. I'm a New York Mets fan. We're not going to talk about the New York Mets. I just want to assure everybody up front. Why not? We can, but I, I mean, we're, <laughs> I, we're twins people. Yeah, but I think that's we're that. baseball people. Second, fair enough. Um, but where I want to start is at the Polite companies, at uh, a multi generational family business involved in so many different things, robotics, you're in the automotive business, you're in the real estate business, obviously baseball. I also want to talk about philanthropy, but I guess I would just start at what's it, what's it like to run a, a, a multi-generational family business? Well, I think it would be incorrect to say that I'm running it because I'm not, but I share those responsibilities with my two brothers, Bob and Bill, and we kind of just divide stuff up because we're fairly diversified. And I'd some people might say, or I might say, that we're more of an investment company than anything because there's a series of investments, some of which we have management responsibility for. So that takes a, that's more than just an investment. But uh, we we split it up, and I think it's dependent upon the three of us getting along as far as governance goes. And we have successfully, knock on wood, so far done that. How have you done that? I've I've heard, or maybe I've seen it. You guys talk about that, or people talk about the companies. You have an uncommon ability to build consensus and you get along and you keep your eyes on the overall mission. Are there things that you do to make sure that that works? No, I don't think there's anything we do proactively. I mean, my parents must have done something right in raising the three of us because we've stayed pretty close. We're all really close in age and probably in temperament also, so that helps. But, you know, in any time you try to build consensus, you're going to have to ignore some things from time to time just to keep the harmony part going. Is there stuff that your brothers have to ignore about you? That, oh, I'm uh, sure there is. <laughs> I mean, I th- you just think that's the way it is. If you just get irritated by one particular thing, then that's going to cause a problem. Yeah. And 
do you make sure that you're seeing each other every 10 days or having lunch or I don't think we make sure that we are it's not that's not very proactive either but we do right everybody lives around here yeah we live around here and we all work basically in the same building Bill is occasionally elsewhere because he's in a different primarily in a different business Bill more in the media and film yes yeah yeah got it um when we talk to founders or business leaders one of the things that comes up again and again is gee you got to have your eye on the sort of overall mission the north star whatever you want to call it principle so that when you're making tough decisions or you're you're evaluating people or you're making strategic decisions that you're weighing it against that kind of basic set of rules yeah that may be giving me or us a little bit too much credit in being so planful about that kind of thing it kind of seems to happen i think we know by now what we have to do and how do we have to get along and how we have to govern when you're making decisions or when you're thinking about this is where i want to drive whether it's a particular component of the pod companies or the pod companies overall and again you guys together what's in your mind like where, where do you want to go well, I think maybe, you know, over the years, and it's only been in fairly recently when the three of us have had, since my dad passed away in 09, basically literal control over everything. So I just don't think we're that specific. I mean, we've tried to be a bit more proactive recently in terms of setting goals for the companies and for the overall enterprise, but I don't think we really did that that much before. So if you were forced to characterize like the mission of the companies, is it let's just make some good investments or have some fun together, try and generate a return, be good citizens of our city and our state, all those things? Well, I think for sure that last part, be good citizens of our city and state is very important to us, all three of us. Yeah. For sure. And I think to the I mean, the three of us are the so-called second generation. We have a third generation coming up, and I think that's all important to all of them, too. How do you reinforce that with the younger generation? Uh, I think it's by example. I hope it's by example because, I mean, young people are harder to tell things to. And, um, (laughs) I mean, I probably was also, as a young person, hard to be told what to do or how to act. I think so it's kind of like the old saying, as the twig is bent, so grows the tree. And rather than forcing something. Right. Some people in your kind of seat, they're not so worried about or concerned with the, with the overall community. It's kind of like, listen, I'm getting mine. What do you think grew that? Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I've been in Minneapolis and Minnesota my whole life. Basically, we worked a little bit away from, I went to school away and then I worked um, in Chicago right after school. And I can't imagine ever leaving here. So, I mean, it's our home, and I suspect that many people feel the same way we do about our community that, when it's your home. Yeah. I, I listed off a bunch of interests that the companies have and that you, you guys have. How do you study up or stay smart or stay on top of, you can't be a subject matter expert in all of those things, and like a lot of us who are running businesses with our partners, we're often not experts in, at least speaking for myself, in anything, but you have to ask good questions, right? And you have to Focus. How, how do you do that? Well, I think, I mean, sometimes you err in that regard. I think the auto industry and being involved in that would be a great example. I mean, we thought when we got into it, probably 10, 15 years ago, that it was going to be similar to our other businesses, particularly the soft drink business, in that there was a franchise, the soft drink business franchise 
situation where you have exclusive right to do business within a territory and you have a so-called parent company that supports you in product development and marketing, et cetera. And for people's it, background, Paul companies had a, a huge investment in yeah, one of we the biggest PepsiCo bottlers. Yeah, we were Pepsi bottlers. Yeah. And that was, well, that was a big uh, foundational investment for us. Right. And we thought that the auto, automobile business being a dealership, you know, whether you would have that same thing. And, but you realize it's way more complicated than that. And so we, we didn't really know what we were doing when we got into it. But we do like to learn, and we have learned over all these years. And management, professional management, is a big part of that for us. It helps. How do you learn? Do you, you spend time with professional management? You spend time with peers, experts? I mean, What's it's, your method? it's basically the passage of time, I think. Yeah. I don't think you go to a crash course, for example, in the automobile dealership uh, area. I don't right. think there is such a thing. But you do spend time with management. We spend time overseeing management and then... You pick up on things and you learn what's important. But I would say the key is the management. What are you looking for when you're, when you're selecting management or when you're evaluating management? Well, that may be evolving a bit over time, too. I mean, we were really, um, we really prized loyalty in our organization. And I'm not saying that we overlooked performance because we didn't, but it was probably loyalty first. And... Um, we still want loyalty. Everybody wants that. But I mean, where I think we are more focused on performance than we used to be. Got it. One of the things we focus on at, at Six Year when we're investing in companies, especially where um, we don't necessarily have control equity, is trying to be, we, we do this no matter what, but we really try to be good partners and be accretive and be helpful. How do you do that? How do you sort of exercise your Well, I think that's really important. Yeah. It's important to us to be viewed as a good partner. And so, it may be like, how, how do you get along with your brothers? I mean, you, you can't dictate stuff individually all the time. You have to sometimes go with consensus. And even though it may not be my literal feeling or my outlook, uh, but you've, just, you've got to let that happen. And management, I mean, these people know way more than I do about their businesses. Right. And so in their motivation, I think we, you know, we try to channel their motivation in the same in the same direction as ours but i and i think that's been successful but their expertise is so important there are things and maybe we'll we'll move into baseball a little bit there are things that at the end of the day you have to have a view on i would have thought the rules changes in baseball uh, coming next year yeah i mean they ask for votes so yes you have to have a view so how did you get smart on the shift well i go to most i've i've never so far anyway in our seasons in target field which is our first season in target field was 2010 yeah so i've basically gone to every home game since then and i'm that's a bit of an exaggeration only in the sense that yes i have to go to a wedding occasionally but i've never electively said i'm I'm not going to go to the game today so far so 81 games a year in target field wow roughly and and so as a result of that you pick up on stuff i mean i've learned probably a lot I'm not, I don't know if I've learned more about baseball than I knew in 1984 when our family first got involved in it, but I've tried to be an observer and pick up on things. But I think first and foremost, I'm a fan, and I'm sure that irritates the Twins management from time to time <laughs> because I might give opinions and act like a fan also. Well, that's interesting. I, one of the questions I was going to ask you is how do you handle being the person who's ultimately accountable for performance on the field, but that's not your expertise and you have to rely on management and 
Every time you walk around the streets of Minneapolis, anybody with a baseball hat on is an expert. Yeah, so, including me. Including I, mean, I, yeah. I put myself in that same category. Yeah. And I mean, do I want to win more than anybody else that's involved in our organization on the baseball side? No, I know that. Yeah. I want to win. I, I do believe that the baseball professionals do tend to take a more long view, and I'm probably a game-by-game person like a fan like would a fan, be. yeah, sure. You basically react to the experience you had and the feel, the emotional experience you came away with from the game before. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. So your your management team is saying, hey, here's our five or seven-year plan or whatever it is. We got to build this. We This is how we're going to track pitching. This is what we're going to do. And your inclination like a fan is to say like, oh, we got to win now. We got to win this year. You know, I you tend to really try to avoid saying that, but that's certainly a mindset that I can fall into. Do you take advice or have like a kitchen cabinet outside of the organization so you can be skeptical and ask those questions in a in an informed way or do you keep that all inside of the twins organization? we keep that all inside yeah. i don't there is no group that i, I mean I'm, i have a friends and i mean <laughs> social friends and i think they all have opinions on stuff but i think it comes from the same place that mine does kind of ignorance and um lack of perspective were you a, a fan in 84 when your family bought the team? I wasn't as much of a fan as yeah. I am now. I played most all sports in my life. I can do any sport, but none well. <laughs> Recreationally done most everything, but I'm not a baseball expert. Right. What changed about your appreciation of baseball sort of over, you know, over the whatever it is, almost 39 years or whatever that you've, you've been in the seat? Well, it's, it is true what everybody says. It is an intricate game and it is not, it doesn't lack for subtlety um, and strategy and so forth. So you begin to appreciate that stuff a little bit more when you know what's going on. So I would think that somebody that would come over here from overseas or wherever, go to their first baseball game, it'd be a tough one to really learn to, to, to appreciate it on that initial experience. I always remember coaching little league for my older son and explaining the game to kids is hard. It's not intuitive. And it's like, why do I have to tag them out here, but not here? Like what's the force? Yeah, no, it's hard. It's, yeah. That is hard. Cause there are a lot of specific things like that, that are so, and it's so varied, but I think being able to watch it together with somebody, it's probably a lot easier to grasp yeah. it and explain it then so how did you think about the the shift we should explain to people this is not a baseball podcast the shift is a defensive alignment that teams have increasingly deployed over the last five to ten years basically when you know that someone is going to hit to one side of the field they'll move all their infielders to that side and it cuts down on how many ground ball hits yeah i know it's it's based on probability and right. somebody I, and i don't know if it was literally the tampa bay rays that came up with this in the beginning but they analyzed the the probability of a ball going in a specific spot and realized that if it's if it only ten percent of the time they hit it to the third baseman in the conventional um, um, setup, yeah. that let's move them because the other ninety percent of the time it's going to go where we want them to be. It's called the competition committee. When the voting on the rules, the all the owners unanimously voted on that committee to abolish a shift for next year. All the players said yeah. How did you it wanted to be able yeah, to Yeah, I don't know if all the other all the players said yes. I can't say that. There is a competition committee consisting of owners. Yeah. There's the ownership group as a whole. Yeah. And then there's this thing called the joint competition committee, which consists of owners, players, and umpires. Got it. And those are all all those or yeah. groups have to approve something. And the sequence I think is the internal ownership competition committee then the group of owners, and then the joint oh, one. That's helpful clarification. So where did you have a view on the shift? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I voted for these rule changes in, in retrospect. I mean, because that came about from a particular team. Like I said, I believe it was Tampa that came up with this concept. And, you know, they did that and it was innovative at the time. Yeah. And then suddenly it, I understand that that's, they're not trying to be um, stymied in that regard by the rule change, but they are, baseball is trying to make the game more interesting and make more action. And so I think that if, if the balls hit all the time to where somebody literally is, that doesn't make for a good fan experience because fans want to see hits and they want to see variation, not just outs all the time. Yeah. And did you do any special sort of talking to people to inform yourself on that no, particular one? No, you're, just, no. Yeah, you're a fan, yeah. you know the game. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. I, I had a surprising number of uh, baseball free marketers in my house who were against the change. I was for, I, I think the change makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah, all. no, it's, I mean, it, it's those things where you try to solve a problem by, but that may not be what the original intent of the problem you're trying to solve was. Yeah. One of our investing themes in Sixth Street over the last, you know, couple of years, call it, has been in sports for a variety of reasons. I think one of the reasons is that it's one of the few places where you and I can sit next to each other at a game, and I don't know your politics, you don't know mine, and we're going to high-five for the home team. It's kind of a unifier. Yeah, I don't know if you would be high-fiving for the home team. <laughs> I, how do I know that? I mean, I would be. I know that, because they're assuming we'd be at Target Field yeah. watching the Twins. Yeah, sure. But more broadly, sort of as a, as a unifier in, in a pretty fractured yeah, society. Yeah, no, it can be that. Yeah. And, but these days, none of that seems to matter. The, just those other divisions become so apparent right away and become so tolerant or intolerant of yeah. other people. Yeah, it happens very quickly. But inside the ballpark, I feel like it's like a, yeah, it's kind of a safe yeah. space. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, that's a dilemma for the Twins organization going forward. And it gets back to your support of the community issue. Yeah. I mean, should a baseball team, the Twins, should we use our voice? Yeah. And that's, that's a really tough question. And it will be a, more of a question going forward, whether it's in a sports team or any business. Well, you guys have definitely used your voice. You know, I mean, I think I think that's the, where we come down on this. That if you have a voice, you should use it, and you should use it in a way that you and the family feels comfortable with. Yeah. 2012 was, is a different era, but you were huge contributors to blocking the Constitutional Amendment here in Minnesota against gay marriage after the murder of George Floyd in your home city, which must have been a terrible thing to... It was a terrible thing for George Floyd, for of sure. course, and the whole, his whole family. Of course. But you, you, you were incredibly generous and intentional as companies. How, did you weigh the sort of, geez, it's going to be divisive? or you're, Yeah, no, we thought yeah, about that, and yeah. it has been. I mean, I can't say that all our customers, I mean, as you talk about the, the marriage amendment thing, I mean, it probably is tipping our hand as to how, what our viewpoints are. But I mean, you're, you're, it's not going to, it's like you said, you can sit in the ballpark with anybody and watch the game. It doesn't matter what their background or their political views are, but outside there, there is that. And some people take offense to a particular stance in, in that politics or social issues have no place in a professional sports team. And I, that can, you can say that about to Coke or Delta Airlines or any of these other people who, have spoken up recently. But your your response to that is? I, if you have a voice, I think it's important in this day and age to use it. Yeah. 
you don't have to agree with us, but this is where we, this is where we right. stand. You know yeah. where we are yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, it's just, it's really hard. It takes a lot of energy to walk the line all the time. But I mean, we, I mean, and I suppose that could be something that could be advantageous from a business standpoint, but it's not really authentic if you feel differently. Baseball is a, one of the appeals, at least to me, and maybe to you as a fan, not to put words in your mouth, is that there's a tradition there. There's a long connection with our history as a country for good and for bad. How do you balance that? The Twins organization was originally the Washington Senators a long time ago, moved here in, what, 1961 was the first season in, in Minneapolis. How do you maintain your connection with that? Is that important while making sure that you're not keeping the, the less you know, wonderful parts of, that, of, the, of those histories? Do you strike, try and strike that balance? Well, you try to because I think that there are fans are interested in the traditional aspects of an organization like the Twins. Personally, I'm not that interested in that. Although I suppose as you get older, you tend to, you know, I was never really that interested in our genealogy, for example, our family genealogy. But as I get older, that stuff interests me a little bit more. Right. But before I could care less about that. Was it, as a result of you becoming more interested, was it a harder decision to, I think you guys took down the, the, the statue of the, of the prior owner, Mr. Griffith. Yes, or, we did. Yeah. How did that discussion go? We were unanimous within the organization. I can't say that the Griffith family felt that same way because yeah. they didn't. Sure. But you have to act out your values. And yeah. that just, that whole episode of the twins era didn't really reflect our values. Yeah. And for people's background in, I think, 1978, he said something. Yeah. He made some remarks. Some that, racist remarks. Yeah. yeah. Um, switching gears for a second, cross learnings from either the twins to your other businesses or vice versa. One, one thing that came to mind is, Hiring. We, we, were, we were talking about management, evaluating management. Again, as a complete amateur and a fan, I think about how do you evaluate baseball talent and do teams evaluate for the right thing and what have you learned? And there's obviously the whole money ball movement and analytics, but there's a, a plenty of other things that go into a player's makeup. Have you had those kind of cross-pollinating conversations or do they not really apply? Is that something that you have the different companies talk to each other? No. No. I mean, they do, but yeah. I don't think there's, if there's not between the sports team in particular, or sports team, because we also have an investment in the uh, Major League Soccer yep. team here in the Twin Cities. But mostly, I would be talking about baseball, and I would say there isn't a lot of that. There isn't a lot of crosstalk back and forth, and it may be that the other businesses don't view baseball as a, uh, you know, a traditional, that well, isn't a traditional business, and they don't view it as that. But I think our, in my view, our best business manager resides at the Twins. And I don't want to take anything away from other of our business managers, but Dave St. Peter, who is the president of the Twins, just an outstanding manager. What does he do well? He does everything well. He doesn't let anything go. He's a 100% follow-up person, and he's considerate. He considers everything. And he seems to be out in front of, of things most of the time. Got it. How do you spend your time? How do you allocate your time? How do you think about prioritizing your time? Well, it's really hard to say. Now, everything has been, I'm sure you, you all are experiencing this too. It's been so weird. Times, the times are so weird. I mean, 2020 or whatever that was, when there was nobody there, that was really weird. Yeah. That must have been bizarre. It was. It was. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. You were there by yourself weird, probably. bizarre. Yeah, we were like, and the player. my wife and I were basically the only people in the whole, besides the twins, maybe management. Baseball management. Yeah. And you could hear, it was just, and they began to electronically put the noise in and yeah. they messed around with that for a while and they got it down pretty well at the end. Yeah. 
But it was weird, for must, sure. Must have been bizarre. You know, we moved our offices right at about the time that people were supposed to be coming back to work when the so-called pandemic might have been waning, and then it re-upped itself again. Yeah. And so we're in new offices. Um, I hurt my leg, and, you know, people coming in or not coming in, and I couldn't come in. So it's just, it's really weird. But I don't, so I don't know going forward what's going to happen. I believe in the power of human nature, and I think that humans are communal people. Yeah. And eventually, things will return to, in in the social sense, in the social business sense, this, the way they were. Are you participating sort of civically in efforts to get people to come back to downtown? Well, I think, I mean, we we certainly believe in the the, the a strong downtown yeah. and having pe- and the best deterrent to anything is having people here. Uh, and so, yes, we tend to get involved in that kind of thing. But I, I, there aren't, that I, there may be a, a failing, but I don't know that there's a lot of concerted or unified efforts toward that regard. Each employer kind of acts on their own, and we have some big employers downtown yeah, for sure. that can deliver or not a lot of people back to the core city. Right. Last week of the season, you guys were looking great sort of at the end of the summer, and, and it kind of faded. And Yeah, I think you really got to look behind. That's a look behind the numbers one, because I'm not sure we played that well, except in a couple early months. Yeah. Yeah, and yet you, know, you were you, you guys were very injury plagued and yeah, and that's for sure. We lead the majors, and then I don't know why that is. That'll be an interesting thing to talk about in the off season. Well, that's my question. So uh, the season ends for you guys. Um, what do you do? Like what what happens? You go right to work. The team for sure, and management, the baseball operations people go right to work. Well, they're probably doing that now because they don't like the way things have gone either. Nobody. Right. I mean, like I've said earlier, I think I don't want to win any more than any other person. Matter of fact, I'm sure that those that are involved, the players especially, want to win the most, and they're the most disappointed by how the season turned out. And it's a definitely a season turned out thing. Yeah. Because we, you know, we did have a lot of hope early on. It's funny, I, we, when we were talking a little bit before about sort of um, mission or North Star or the purpose of an organization, I mean, the purpose of a baseball team is to win baseball games. And but you can't win the World Series every year. One cannot. No, so you're not going to. How do you think about like what is like the larger purpose of a baseball team in that well, regard? Well, it be, is an interesting thing. And I mean, I think that, and we've fan surveys have showed that the target field experience, this being our home games, yeah. is really, really important to people. And I'm not sure that people care on an individual game basis whether the team wins or loses, but they certainly care over a a trend. I mean, nobody wants to be associated with a losing team, even though they might have lost a particular game the night before. Right. But I think they really want to come and be have fun and be entertained. And there's a lot of opportunity for that beyond just what happens on the field. Do you have a favorite feature of the ballpark? All of it. Yeah. I mean, I love the ballpark. I love Target Field. And that's been the most exciting part to me. And I, I since I go to a lot of games, I sit there and I look around a lot. Because my viewpoint is to be able to see basically the whole park. Yeah. And so you sit there and try to think, well, what can we do to make it a better fan experience? And because you, you, it's like you said, you can't rely on winning or losing all, or winning all the time. Right. It's just not going to happen. Right. Right. So, But the, you want people to have fun. Yeah, for sure. I know you, you love the park in totality. There's no one favorite thing. But as you, you 
And I think your dad was very involved and maybe your mom. No, they both became for sure. I can't, my dad was, my recollection was a mostly a football guy. Yeah. But but it became very important in their life. But you were, I assume all involved in the design, right? Because it was, it was kind of. Yeah. I mean, at that point, dad was, you know, becoming a little bit less involved and became ill and so forth. But what do you remember about the planning that you're, when you, you go to the park tonight, you look at, you're like. That was a great idea. Well, I can remember going to New York and dad went with that and we sat with the architects and they did what they call, I think, a charrette or something where you just kind of sit around and kick ideas, design ideas around. So this would have been pre-final, well, for sure, pre-final design. Yeah. But the key to the ballpark was letting other people manage the process because if I would have been involved, we would have been way over. Yeah. Any regrets about being an outdoor park? Um, well, that was a big issue, yeah. whether it was uh, covered or not. But I mean, in the end, it came down to cost two thousand seven, eight, nine dollars And it was probably 125 to $150 million to put a roof on. And it changed the whole aesthetic, sure. or it would. Yeah. And then, but then you looked around and saw that there were many other um, teams and ballparks in climates not dissimilar to Minnesota's that didn't have covered. Yeah. Yeah, and and I so I mean on a beautiful day, sitting there is it? Do you regret it at all? No, I don't regret it. On a you know April, but April's not kind to any team Anything. except yeah, for maybe yeah. the West Coast team. Yeah, for sure. So management is already going to work, doing their thing. They're you guys are you going to watch the postseason? Yeah, I watch the postseason. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's daunting because you watch that on TV. You watch it from a particular viewpoint. And you say, "Boy, these are, people are really good. Yeah. These teams are really good. Yeah. Can we be that good?" Yeah. But you're only watching it from a certain angle, and you're seeing the pitchers and the pitch go in, and you know it's it's different when you're not just watching it on TV. But I, I will watch it to yeah. answer your question. Do you want to talk about the Mets? We can't. <laughs> I'll have to do that. Uh, no, because the Mets are, their Mets are definitely an organization on the rise and it's going to be good. And I think Steve Cohen's really committed and has been a really committed and involved owner so far. Actually, and let's just keep rolling because I don't want to break my promise to people who care about me that I would not talk about the Mets and seem like a crazy obsessed fan, which I kind of am. But it's an interesting story, right? In the sense that the culture seems to have changed there. I'm not so knowledgeable that I know what the culture was before. I knew the Wilpons, both Fred and Jeff, fairly well. Sure. And I certainly don't know Steve Cohen anywhere near that. Yeah. And I so I miss both Jeff and Fred. Yeah. And because I think they were really good for the game. Fred was hugely respected. Oh, sure. Uh, and they had challenges, business challenges within the family, and then they were the what how whatever that was the they were kind of the second team in a huge market oh i see yeah but i think that there it's going to be a really uh competitive going forward between the yankees and the mets i hope so your point about the fan experience and liking things and not necessarily worried about the individual result every single day i think is absolutely true in the way that that fan base feels about their team as a result of attention being paid to the tradition and the culture and the history and you know having a little bit of a sense of humor about it it's it's kind of great it feels yeah well the fan base is so important i mean it seemed like whenever the twins made the playoffs they'd have to go to new york and play the yankees and that wasn't a good experience because the fans are so passionate yeah they're not really that tolerant of (laughs) visiting team fans there are all kinds of trade-offs in your civic life and and your baseball (laughs) baseball uh rabidness i guess are you reading anything good 
uh, I'm a fiction reader. Oh. And so I tend to read only when I'm traveling. So do I always have something? Yes, and I do now. And it's not a, not current fiction, although it's not uncurrent. So that's a living writer. And I'm not trying to be secretive about but I hate to just talk about because everybody, you know, has, I'm sure, their favorite book or books or literary experience. Yeah. And it, not everything appeals to everybody. Sure. But I'm, I'm a fiction person. Anything you've read in the last year without saying it's your favorite or without uh, taking a position on one writer versus another that you've just that st- stuck in your mind? Well, I mean, I really like this guy, Dave Eggers, a yeah. lot. And um, I read two books. One is about a big tech merger and how that ultimately controls our lives. And it's pretty clear where he's coming from in that regard. So that was really interesting. Then he, uh, an earlier book by him, he wrote about the one, it was the story of one of the so-called lost boys of Sudan. Oh, so yeah. that goes pretty far. That goes back into the eighties and so forth. Yeah. And that, but that was really, you know, it was totally new experience for me to hear about how somebody, you know, survived that. Why do you like reading fiction? I think it's the characters and, you know, I like the, I, I'm not saying that nonfiction is bad no, or anything. Course. It's just that it's more entertaining for me from a character standpoint. Got it. Well, Jim, this has been a delight. It's super interesting to hear about you and your family and the poet companies and talking a little bit about the twins. And uh, we can't thank you enough for being here. Thanks. This is great. You're welcome. Really appreciate it. That was Jim Polad. We spoke at the offices of the Polad Companies in Minneapolis on September 28th, 2022, and then we had pretty good seats at Target Field to watch the Twins that night. We had a lot of fun. Here's what we learned. One, it's important to be good, constructive partners. That's important to us at 6th Street when we invest with management teams, and it's important to Jim and the Polad Companies for the same reason. It creates a better environment to learn, to have direct conversations, and to get better together. Second, we've heard it time and time again that understanding your North Star is crucial to running a business, and it's how Jim and his brothers naturally remember that their family bonds and their community transcend any smaller or personal concerns. And speaking of community, Target Field, which is awesome, is the center of gravity for the city and the region, and it's really important for that reason to the poll ads. And it's a great reminder that sharing space and experience is so important to being human and tempering extremes, and it's a good reminder to business leaders who may be missing the point of work when deciding their teams don't have to be anywhere in particular. Thank you to Jim and the poll ads and their team for such great hospitality in Minneapolis. You've been listening to It's Not Magic, a Sixth Street podcast. You can read more about our guests on SixthStreet.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it and follow at Sixth Street News on Twitter for more on the show and our firm. Thanks to Sixth Street's production team, Patrick Clifford and Ritby Shah, putting this together with sound engineering by Stephen Cologne. Our theme song is It's Not Magic, an original creation by Patrick Dyer-Wolf. Once again, I'm David Steepleman. Thanks for listening. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Sixth Street, and Sixth Street is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of or listening to this podcast is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Sixth Street. Please see additional disclosures on our website for more details.